some stories of dark arts by some marketplaces. Actually, that is illegal um, coming into the UK. We all know who has been putting in the fake booking. We all know that, that fu fundamentally that's coming from less than 400 quid in my pocket. Um, nowhere really to stay um, and no job. Um, I basically went out to Dubai and sort of um, knocked on doors and um, got lucky, I guess. We spent pretty much three quarters of a year in hospital. Um, and those sort of events basically just change your mindset. I jumped in the back of an ambulance and was blue lighted down um, to Chelsea and Westminster Hospital for emergency um, uh, surgery on him. He was meant to be born in January. Uh, he was born on the 3rd of October. Um, he was like 26 weeks trying to bury your head in the sand in certain things or running away from certain things and stuff like that. And I sort of looked around the room and I'm like, really am I really being asked that my name's David I'm, I'm, I work here now I'll be working with you and and he was like sort of half bowing and I'm like this 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 is wrong this is so awful let me just get it because it's profound and you can edit this properly hi everyone how are you doing my name's Gareth Duffin and this is know your shift the podcast where we discuss the impact of change in all of our lives. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do remember to hit that follow button as it really does help. Hi, David. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, first question, as always, what is the hardest change that's happened to you in your life? Oh, the hardest change. Um there's been loads of changes, um, but I think um, what, there's probably some things that have been enforced, I guess. Um, there's personal and professional things that, that tend to get enforced and stuff like that. But I think sort of um, it's probably more of an event than anything else or a cir circumstance of various events that uh, have sort of um, ensured a change uh, in mindset as well. And that probably would be um, when... Um, I, I, that uh, one of my sons, my eldest son, um, got uh, rushed to hospital. Um, I, I won't bore you with the with the graphic details and stuff like that, but got rushed to hospital with septic arthritis. Uh, I mean, was very lucky to be diagnosed at the time um, with septic arthritis of the hip. And um, so uh, I jumped in the back of an ambulance and was blue lighted down um, to oh. Uh, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital for emergency um, uh, surgery on him, where they basically uh, cut him open. If they, they said if if you draw out um, uh, um, uh, pus, um, then sorry to be graphic, but uh, but then yeah, we need to we we need to cut him open and and, and ensure is okay because uh, it only literally have hours because that's got into the bloodstream. Um, uh, if it's clear, it's fine and everything else. And sure enough, they. They basically drew out um, thick gloops of pus uh, from his hip. Um, and he was, what age was he? He was in year five at the time. So um, that was very, very traumatic. And so he he spent um, the best part of uh, sort of two, three months in Chelsea and Westminster learning how to walk again. Wow. Um, at, at this time as well, uh, only when we knew he was okay, my wife let me know that she was pregnant with Stanley wow. um, and uh, that that happened but you know in in terms of that happening um securing obviously Oscar making sure he's okay and then with Stanley coming um he was meant to be born in January uh, he was born on the 3rd of October um he was like 26 weeks um and so uh Rainey didn't get into a third trimester so he was born um at i think it was 900 grams and oh. literally born with no nipples um uh, you could see through his skin uh, um he was uh, uh, uh held in in Watford Skibu for uh, over just over 100 days over the christmas period as well which was really really tough and traumatic so you know those events uh, we we spent pretty much three quarters of a year in hospital um and those sort of events basically just change your mindset in terms of your career i was always 
traveling away a lot with young children uh, not with the young children leaving the young children behind all that sort of stuff and these sort of things take a profound effect on on sort of how you approach um your work and your life and and all that sort of stuff so um that would probably be you know the, the biggest change from that would be you know i i sort of was more aware of ensuring that you know the family comes first and and sort of you no know, career comes a, a distant second uh, and ensuring that I worked with people and companies that appreciated that and had that as part of their DNA. Do you think, you know, do you think people that, you know, I went through not, not something similar, but, you know, children having ill health whilst in that similar sort of mode of flying around the country, traveling, working, you know, work is, you, you know, you, you're doing it all day long and, and into the evening as well. And you know, I think it's it's perhaps easy, and maybe that's the wrong word for people that have been through something like that, like us, that, you know, my you know, my daughter was very ill when she was born and it was during the first lockdown. Um, you know, and we all know what that was like. But yeah. do you think, you know, I see people that are that are traveling a lot and working hard and you know, when they've got young children, and I wonder it's not until you've been through something like that that you you sort of hit hit reset and i'm not sure everyone understands that when uh, when you when we say family first um yeah. you know i don't know if everyone necessarily pre- appreciates that so yeah I, I agree i think it's sort of um the kids are older now you know stanley's a very healthy 13 year old now and oscar is a very healthy nearly 22 year old um yeah. i've got a daughter of 23 so um it's easier now for my circumstances that i'm i'm happier and obviously having discussed it with the family to be traveling a lot more and and mm. being away a little bit more and stuff like that um and i think most of the time my wife wants to get rid of me to be fair but um <laughs> but you know uh, when, when they were when they were little i think i probably if I was going to change anything, I would have changed um, being around. I mean, I I, I sort of uh, um, made sure I was always at the school sports days and being able to take school uh, on, on when I'm around and everything else. But you know, if I was, you know, I used to travel to Europe for three days a, a week, um, Germany, Italy, and Brussels, um, and uh, you know that took its toll. Uh, and sort of, I, I sort of stepped away from that directorship after five years and sort of uh, when I when I went back to them uh, after putting sort of a, a bit of a career break in, in place um I, I went back on my terms more which was good and I sort of said yeah you know I'll travel once or twice a week but I want to be able to map that out ahead of time and and sort of devote a lot more time uh, sort of at home but you know I think with COVID as well it's been proven that you can actually be very effective um to be working from home and and sort of um not have to be necessarily face-to-face there, obviously there's advantage of being face-to-face in, in a lot of lot of um areas but uh but yeah you know i think covid has changed quite a lot of that mindset as well so when researching this episode um something struck me that you said was you know a lot of people i speak to on here were the first in their family to go to university you say <laughs> you were the first that didn't <laughs> I'm in the wrong industry, aren't I? <laughs> um, were you um, were you were you rebelling, or just it, wasn't for you? It's it's. I mean, I would love to. I mean, I I have told people in the past I was rebelling, and I would sort of stayed at home to look after my mum. And they say the, the truth of the matter was I, I was lazy, um, and you know I I had my siblings uh, are all first class honours. Um, you know, head boys, head girls, all that sort of stuff, and I, I was like forthcoming through in this in the school, in the schools that we were at, and there's this expectation placed on me that I would be the same academically than them, and I just wanted to chase around a football, I wanted to chase around a, 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 a tennis ball, a rugby ball, and you know I could do that all day long, and uh, you know I just didn't apply myself at school uh, in terms of academic I was in all the first first teams of f- football rugby cricket playing playing sort of above my age group and thinking I was great but yeah you know I wasn't you know I don't necessarily have it as a badge of honor but I don't necessarily think it's a be or an end all if you don't go to university um but yeah um <laughs> I have to live with that so in 1991 you up and left and went to Dubai <laughs> 
yes, good research. Um, <laughs> I did. Um, I was at a, at a sort of a, a bit of a crossroads, I guess, um, where all of my mates had gone to university. I was left in my hometown of, of, of Berkhamsted, which is a lovely little place, uh, but not a lot going on. Um, I was probably going down a different routes of, of um, uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll type style lifestyles that youth would, um, would go down. Um, I, I was doing sort of some coaching work and loving my sport and all that sort of stuff. And I, I happened to, uh, to chat to somebody, um, I think it was in a pub somewhere, and they said, why don't you just take off? Why don't you take a year off? And go and go and do do stuff. Um, and so I thought about that, and you know, I said, "Well, I haven't got a trade." Well, you have. You got your tennis rackets. Go and you know, you can go and coach. You can coach yourself around the world. And I actually looked at it, and I, and I, I met somebody that had a, um, a couple of family members in Dubai. And you know, in those days, it was a total sandpit. And uh, I thought, well, sack it, I'm, I'm off. And literally, um, no, well, I think it was less than four hundred quid in my pocket. Um, nowhere really to stay um, and no job. Um, I basically went out to Dubai and sort of um, knocked on doors and um, got lucky, I guess. But you said you're a lazy person. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> sound like something a lazy person does, particularly at that say, age. Yeah, I would say academically lazy. Um, a, a sort of, you know, if there's a goal, uh, you know, I'll strive for it. And and if it's, if it's you know, within my reach and I can, I, I think there's going to be, it's going to be fun getting there as well. Um, then I'll go for it. And you know, um, I always saw myself as a, as a um, it, when I was very young, thinking that I was going to be a great tennis player. I was going to be on the going to become a professional because I know I was I was reasonably good. Um, uh, but you know, I think it was the age of fourteen or fifteen um, when Boris Becker won, won Wimbledon at the age of sixteen, and the realization was like, I'm not that good. I've just, it's just, I'm actually crap and sort of quite hard on myself, I guess. But my PE teacher at Ashland School uh, in Berkhamsted, um, so I guess saw something of that and and basically said, you know, come along and, you know, help me coach the, the younger kids. So I started coaching and and I, I, I loved that. And, and that was, you know, I, I can't remember the quote that you, you, that you would have, I think if you can't do it, you teach or something like that. But, um, I'm sure people will write in with the exact quote. Um, but yeah, uh, I've always enjoyed that coaching and teaching side of things. So I imagine Dubai was a very different place in 91 than it than it is now. What was it like back then? Um, it, I, I really liked it back then. Um, I, I liked various aspects of it. I hated other aspects of it. I have been back since. Um, as I say, you know, compared to now, it was a sandpit. Um, you, you had... I, I uh, went and knocked on the door of, of uh, um, Dubai Country Club, which is no longer there. And it was run by a, by a brilliant guy called David Greedy um, and uh, lovely, lovely little Welsh fella. Um, he won't mind me for saying that. And um, I basically, I had long hair and went went and knocked on the, knocked on the door. So, you know, you've got any jobs type thing, uh, have tennis rackets. And, and he showed me around and he had just got the general managership um, of that place after progressing from being in uh, in the sports and recreation management um of the of the uh, of the country club and so I went around saying oh, I could do that I could do that I could do that around all the sports bits and he sort of just said, well okay and but what he did say was like I'm really worried that you won't be accepted because of your hair you've got long hair and you know I don't think the sort of the the uh the the expat community in Dubai would accept it I went if you get any complaints i'll cut it but you know i don't think you will i was a cocky git and and you know um and so i got accepted and and, and sort of and that was good but the dubai as a whole um was very you know there was only like one nightclub there was a few few bars that, that the expats would go to and it was starting to build up in the night in the early 90s um but what i couldn't stand about the place was the the inherent racism um, and and it, it was awful, you know. Um, I, my first day at Dubai Country Club, I, I walked in with my, my racket bag, and um, this little guy uh, came running up to me, little Indian guy. His name is Musa, 
and he was wearing um, sort of overalls and came up to me and said, sir, 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 can I carry your bag? And I'm like, what? Uh, I went, hold on, I haven't been knighted yet, but I'm not a sir. Um, I would always carry a bag. My name's David. I'm, I'm, I work here now. I'll be working with you. And and he was like sort of half bowing. And I'm like, this 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 is wrong. This is so awful. And um, you know, I got to know all of the uh, all of the Indian staff, the Filipino staff, um, and they were great. But they were the lowest of the low in terms of pecking order for the whole of the um, UAE uh, um, sort of setup. And um, I found that really, really uncomfortable um, and always made sure that I went and, and, and ate with, with, with everybody and, and understood what people were doing and, and everything else. Uh, um, you know, I've since gone back on, on business a couple of times and, and my brother worked out there as well. So I spent some time at, and I, uh, it's just got worse as far as I'm concerned. And it's, I've been quoted of saying it's like now it's like a a concrete jungle um, with the worst racism and ethics that you could ever think of. And everything is man-made with no history. Um, you might want to edit that later just in case I get in trouble with the with the laws. But yeah, um, it, 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 it was great fun back in the day and the expat communities were great and everything else. I was one of the youngest ones. People went out there with the family to sort of for a five-year period to, to earn loads of money um i i was the only probably one uh, my brother came out to see me after two years and sort of uh, said oh, how are you investing your money i went sorry and he goes well, well you, you must be earning what are you doing you know he's very very um very good like that let me put it that way uh, old before his time maybe and you know, i'm a i'm a 20 21 year old tennis coach in dubai what do you think i'm doing with my money <laughs> and and i'm like i said I, I start off at the start of the month with a a stack of cash on that side of the bed by the end of the end of the month it's no longer there i just replace it with my with, with my money i get from the country club and he was like what about your investments and stuff like that so didn't nothing like that um but you know i did set up a business out there and and you know that was successful and all that sort of stuff but but you know i think i'm one of the only ones that came back from dubai with uh with not a pot to piss in to be fair so how did you how, how did that end and you came back from dubai what happened next <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess um, when I was in Dubai, I saw an opportunity um, and, and at the country club, it, it was great. I, I used to know a lot of people and, and got some good connections. And and um, one of the connections was a, uh, was a guy, a South African guy that used to run Arenko Real Estate. And um, I, I sort of, uh, I was running circuit training classes. I was running loads of different things and, and, and coaching stuff at the, at the country club. And uh, I thought it would be an idea to sort of look at the real estate market in Dubai in terms of what they're offering and how they could um, uh, add value to their offering. And a lot of them had squash courts and tennis courts and and little gyms and stuff like that. But all the they're all run down. Nobody looked after them. There was no coaching, no nothing. So I basically set up a little business and said, "Look, I'll do, I'll do, uh, I'll set up a contract with you that I can go in and offer coaching." And and in return, I'll I'll keep the place ship shape and all this sort of stuff. So and there, there was about at the time, I think there was about ten or twelve different properties that had these sort of there, there were there were like communities that had the tennis courts stuff like that. So I started to build up tennis coaches that were working for me and and everything else. And you know, a small little business had a a five year contract with them, really really strong contract. Um, after eighteen months, the owners of of Arenko, which obviously were um uh ue nationals basically said well we can employ a manager to do what this guy's doing and um we'll we'll do that and we'll get rid of him and uh and even though i had a five-year contract um i went to my lawyer um or a lawyer who basically said any other place in the world you'd get paid out an awful lot of money on this contract because you're absolutely right um, but unfortunately, the guys that are signing this are part of the um, uh, UAE royal family, and you're better off just cutting your losses and going, of which I did. So I came back with my tail between my legs. Um, 
and I had to start from scratch again. So, um, but yeah, that that was a pretty low ebb actually coming back with with nothing, but great experience. Um, but you know, um, hindsight's a wonderful thing, I guess. So then you went into sales. (laughs) 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 Complete move from, you know, although running your own business, obviously you've got to do sales, particularly out there, but then you uh, you jumped into a sales role. Well, you said you fell into a sales role. I fell into a sales role. Yeah, I mean, basically um, I I came back not really knowing what to do um, and sort of uh, went and sort of uh, stayed stayed, uh, back in my hometown and... uh, uh, I fell into sales because you know I was looking at sort of sports and health and fitness roles and stuff like that, and and there was you know it was the start of some of the sort of um, development of of health and fit the health and fitness industry in the UK, and uh, there was a few sales roles in, in in London, so I sort of went and applied. I never really saw it as sales; I saw it as sort of just chatting to people and and sort of giving them options on what they want to do. And, and advising so um and that's always i've always had that through when i'm when you're when you're coaching you're selling a technique you're selling how to do something and they're taking that on board and they're about advising and similarly when you're sort of you know setting up your own business or whatever that looks like you're you're having to have those it's all about communications i don't really see it as sales if you turn around and say oh you're a salesman or oh i'm going to pitch to you suddenly the the, the shutters come down i don't want to be salty so it's it, i i sort of fell into that that role and 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 yeah that that i i treated it more as, as sort of just going and talking to people to be honest and trying to listen to to understand what they needed yeah how was your um when when a something ends quite abruptly and not necessarily in the way you wanted to whether that's a job or or business closing like was was your confidence knocked at that point oh christ yeah and and you know it's like a it's like a roller coaster i hate roller coasters but it's like a roller coaster <laughs> and 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 you know uh, there's you know looking back on it i would have gone through incredible um uh poor mental health um, uh, issues and sort of, um, you know, trying to bury your head in the sand in certain things or running away from certain things and stuff like that. And, and you know, you you sort of ride the waves sometimes in, in those circumstances, trying not to sink. And you've got, you got to fight for it. Um, you know, fortunately, you know, I've got some really good friends and you sort of talk back through those and stuff like that. And they boost your ego. And sometimes you've got to play the, Oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm doing this. And they think you're fine. And, and, and actually you get through them, but you know, um, it, it's something that is, if you look back on that, yeah, you do, you get really low and, um, and, but you sort of, um, just try to get through it in some way, shape or form, I guess. So now then, well, then you went into student accommodation, you joined, <laughs> you, you joined on what became IQ. Before we get into talking about IQ and student accommodation and lots of other things in, around that, what did you think of the student accommodation industry when you joined as someone coming from outside? Well, I'd had, um, I didn't know a lot about it. Um, a, I hadn't been to university. I knew what halls of residence were and, and all that sort of stuff because my, my brothers and sisters, um, uh, I knew the right to passage for with, with stuff, um, but I'd been, you know, from from my, my early days in in health and fitness. You know, there's a number of years that went past before I went into to student accommodation. It's probably best part of fifteen years. Um, so I was I was working um, and had directorships in in uh, um, uh, the service industry uh, in uh, health and well being uh, and. Uh, when I looked into it and I did my research before going into student housing, um, I saw a lot of synergies associated within that. Um, and, to, you know, you're looking at a service uh, orientated business um, that is looking after people. Um, and, you know, fitness was always something that I was sort of, um, well, sports and fitness and well-being was very something that I was always passionate about and looking after people and and preventative care on this that, and the other. And actually, I think there's a lot of synergies associated in in the in in the um, in in the student accommodation industry. And um, I got, you know, I, I saw an opportunity to um, reshape and and look at uh, and in in some some way sort of professionalize. 
um, sales systems, processes, commercial view, uh, and look at various different opportunities of the business. And I think it probably helped me coming in um, to an industry that was um, in the early stages um, and didn't have any baggage associated um, with, well, I had my own baggage, but not not a lot of baggage associated with with being. Um, oh yeah, you've been in the, in the industry for this amount of time. This is this is this is the reason. This is what what happens. This is you know, there's no preconceived ideas of what should happen. So I had a different view in in some respects. And um, you know, when I got together with, um, um, especially Matt Merrick, actually joined IQ about six less than six months, three months after, after I did, he came from Virgin. So we had very similar backgrounds, although he's a bean counter. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, um, worked very well in terms of him, him sort of having, having come from that sort of same sort of sector and, and coming from a different sector, I think sometimes helps. So one of the things, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, is you were tasked with was to grow IQ internationally. Um, now, it's easy to think about IQ as it is now as a you know huge business that you know in, attracts students from all over the world, but you know it's, it's a phrase I often use on on this podcast is you know if you'll build it they'll come. It, it's not as easy as that. So, how did you go about growing IQ's reputation and presence globally? Um- well, it was interesting when I first came in. I, I was I was tasked with initially. I was tasked with um, uh, looking at um, efficiencies in the sales systems and, and processes and stuff like that. And and I know I always tell the tale of, of sort of being in a in a sort of a uh, a senior stakeholder meeting. And the, you know, I'm the new kid on the block. It's like, okay, David, you know, we're we're ninety five percent full year on year. Um, what are you going to do to to get that extra five percent? And I sort of looked around the room and I'm like, oh, Christ, really? Am I really being asked that? Uh, and I basically said, I'm not going to look after the five percent. I'm not going to chase after the five percent. I'm going to look at the ninety five percent, and I'm going to look to see if we can increase our rents associated with that ninety five percent and drive down the costs and look at new opportunities to be able to do that. And we can make more money out of that 95% than we'll ever be able to do so out of that 5%. And that the 5% will look after itself. And, and there was sort of a realization around the room is actually we do need to stop chasing just basic occupancy level and understand what can we do to um to, to create a better environment and to and to look at sort of a, an opportunity to, to make more money. And um at the time um uh, hopefully i'm not wrong in saying this it was more like a dysfunctional family than anything else um the the company wasn't pure iq at that stage it came in when it was the vero group and there was a it was the takeover um of goldman sachs and the welcome foundation that took on um part of the gray star portfolio at the time which was prodigy living and you had the old iq which was the old um um uh welcome trust uh, uh, assets and they were run two, two very different ways and actually when i talked about looking to understand the international markets oh we've got agents that just give us give us um stuff and you know they, they, they were sort of treated really badly and and you know i said well, well how are we going to be looking why, why are we looking at international so i saw in a way sort of cut a niche in that area because i was interested in it and i thought it was the right thing to do um because I, what i started to do is understand the migration levels coming in to the uk from all of the different um international markets the source markets and look at penetration levels and look at you know understanding the fact that all the international markets at that stage all of them you know, apart from europeans were having were paying double that the tuition costs so the the knock-on effect of that well actually they would be able to have the affordability to pay for pbsa which i thought was very very expensive um and i think it still is very expensive and i think there's there's, there's a, that's another topic um but you, you sort of saw that and and what i tried to do is to create more partnerships to understand and and look at uh what the behavioral patterns are of international students, what's the the needs, wants, fears, desires, what are the drivers, um, and to work upstream to really understand 
um, the behavioural patterns um, uh, and decision-making uh, on that and what, what's going to appeal to them. So I started just to build up that strategy um, and and sort of, uh, you know, touch wood, luckily it, it, it sort of worked and, and sort of created some long-term friendships and, and partners on, along the way. Um, I think previous to that, I think the relationships between landlord and agent were very transactional and I think that's something that uh, I'll take with me in, in in terms of ensuring that there's a true partnership and understanding of of, of support uh, on, on both sides if you like. So talking of taking that, that with you you decided to leave IQ and and go to Amber is that poacher turned gamekeeper? <laughs> yeah a few people have said well what are you doing going to the dark side? Oh my God. <laughs> um, but you know uh I, I saw a, a massive opportunity um, and it was an opportunity for my, myself to grow. Um, but also, you know, I, I had worked with the founders at Amber for uh, the best part of five and a half years um, uh, in IQ and seen how they had grown the business. And the interesting thing for me is, you know, I, I, I was uh, is in a privileged position in some respects. I was, uh, I wasn't looking, but I've been approached by a number of, uh, owner operators management companies and um and and a couple of sort of um agency style partners and you know i did my due diligence i'm you know i'm, I'm fairly um fairly sort of uh, anal on those sort of things and and um interestingly for me I've, i'd sort of worked with amber and seen how they grow and they were most open and transparent with me in terms of what i wanted to achieve within iq for iq um and they were willing to be able to help and they they got it um and for for me one of the things that they're not ego driven and um for, for the guys there madur and Sirab, that are the founders i didn't know that they were founders until about four years of working with them and that for me told told the story that they have they put their their brand first they put their 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 teams and and it's it's very much a family oriented thing and, and so it comes back to some of the, the the sort of ethics that i mentioned before um of of you know wanting to be with the right people um that understood um you, you know uh sort of a, a decent level of ethics and family and 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 how to sort of build and grow a business and you know it's not that they got a load of investment and suddenly started chucking around they didn't they haven't got investment and they didn't don't need investment because they've been able to grow really effectively um and i just saw a really strong opportunity to to help them um in the destination countries as well as in the source source countries that they're working in uk is only one of the source countries that the, uh, the destination countries that they work in so you've got you know the the the, uh, the ambition to go into the us and, and canada is huge um massive massive market um and, and there's lots of trends associated to that to make sure to 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 give a lot of um uh uh, confidence of going in uh, in there and we're making good strides there and you know Australia is now bounced back after three years of academic uh, um, academic year um, um, challenges for international students going there so I, I saw it as a, a as being able to lend my experience on the operation side or owner operator side and know what's of value to be able to bring that into in internally into amber but also, uh, with the existing partnerships in the UK and, and all of the destination countries that we're in is to to give that confidence to to the partners that you know we're understanding the value and we can actually shape things and future-proof businesses uh, effectively. So one of my favorite things to do is ask people uh, what their job title means. So VP of Global Partnerships for Amber, what do you actually do? As little as possible, really. No, I don't... Um, <laughs> It's it's a bit of uh, um, you know I oversee uh, across a number of verticals within within Amber. So when you say partnerships, you know we've got supplier partners, which will be owner operators and management companies in all of the destination countries. And as we sort of you know as as we expand, we we need to um, uh, ensure that we are are servicing them effectively. Uh, and so I, I oversee one of those verticals. There's another vertical which would be university partnerships as well, um, and institution partnerships, and that could be in destination countries as, as well as um, uh, uh, the source countries as well. Um, 
and uh, and then you know you you've got all of the relationships um with uh, with uh, upstream which are education agencies and and there's the demand partners that are associated within that so um i, I sort of over oversee and, and work across all of the verticals the 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 sort of the vp title is a little bit um uh, I, I guess it's for the American market more than anything else, and it would open doors. Um, and that's being brutally honest. It's more cosmet- cosmetic than anything else. You know, we work as a team across the board with the founders, and and you know, um, hierarchy isn't really something that, that I'm I'm into. Um, if it opens a door because I'm a VP, then great. Um, but yeah, it doesn't mean that that much to be fair. So what's next for Amber? What's on? What what do you what's exciting that's coming up? Oh, it, it it is properly exciting actually. Um, I mentioned the sort of the the UK is in a situation where you've got uh, the control uh, is very heavily sitting with with owner operators and uh, but what they what we're we're doing is getting more deep rooted partnerships on a strategic level and and sort of. Uh, working with a lot of our partners um, to be able to future-proof their businesses, so being relevant in in the good times, as uh, um, most most marketplaces, if you like, would be seen to be relevant when it's uh, challenging markets and they they're, they're lifted and dropped by um, landlords. When we need you, we'll use you and all that sort of stuff. Um, so we're we've sort of changed that dynamic and we're more consultancy service uh, led. And data driven and we're really exciting at the moment we're rolling out um connect dashboards which is total transparency with everything that we do um which uh, goes towards operational efficiencies we're helping partners learn about source countries and how to be appealing and we're opening out our whole um uh, uh, analytics deck to be able for them to see migration levels coming in what their penetration levels are but also to see um their uh, upstream uh what levels of lead share they have what levels of um, uh, booking share all of these sort of things and um, that helps uh, a number of different departments in each of our partnerships to be able to run their businesses really effectively and learn learn from us it's not just marketing and leasing managers it's it's cfos um and understanding the cost per acquisitions to to ensure that you know uh, they're they're sort of um driving down that those costs a lot of a lot of operators don't actually know their costs and and you know we're we're shining a light on that and to be able to help and us going into the american market on that tack has been really really good we've learned from mistakes of others that have gone in they're probably gone in when the american market wasn't quite ready because there's still only 16 percent penetration level for pbsa across uh, student accommodation in the us and that but that's growing um so we're going in in a slightly different tack, if you like, and having learned from others' mistakes, and, and yeah, so the, um, the, the we we sort of got a good market share, and we're learning all the time to future proof in the UK, and that all, and we're, and we're sort of um, we're we're looking to give the best options to our students possible, and 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 uh, and help our partners diversify, and uh, you know we're we're we we've got a lot of we've got a good presence in we're in. 160 different source countries so we're sort of understanding those marketplaces and the development of all those marketplaces and we're we're helping those students find um good quality accommodation whether that be an hmo or pbsa or btr we're across the whole board now uh, and so that's really, it's really exciting it's a lot of work on but it's really <laughs> exciting so focusing on the uk for a moment how would you describe the health of the student housing industry in the uk um, I, I think the health, um, if you are an owner operator, it's very healthy. Um, if you are a, um, a, a student, not so healthy. Um, I think there's been a lot of press associated to housing crisis and stuff like that. I think there's a very uh, um, dysfunctional feel to things as universities still try and chase the 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 financial losses that they that they had to endure during COVID times and uh, and their uh, acceptance levels are going up and up and up and uh, they have to um, work work uh, in tandem and in association with the housing operators and the borough councils to ensure that they're not hanging students out to dry um, you know there's cases 
where students are being taken on in Manchester and um, having to live in Liverpool or live in Huddersfield, which is is crazy, which is is mad. And and also the way the rent increases are going up in undersupply markets is likely to price out a lot of students from going to those universities and going to university at all because it's very very expensive um and i always worry about the health and well-being of those students not just financially but the knock-on effect associated to that so there's lots of different areas that you can do a health test on um uh, i do worry about about various things you know um in terms of students well-being when they're going into cities and uh, having to take out extra loans or having to do three jobs while they're while they're sort of paying their way through university and stuff like that so um I, I would like to think it's not elitist but it's becoming that way um i read recently about india and africa obviously being growing markets for pbsa well for all student housing in in the uk hmm. what do we need to do differently in the uk to attract and f- provide a great product for those students that you know might have different wants and needs from say the chinese students that they've typically relied on to to fill the beds yeah and you know you, you there are different needs and wants associated with 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 students and it's really educating some of those students and educating um the the pbsa operators into into um what they see as of value um, and you know, there's there's a sort of a blanket thought that oh yeah, India uh, it, it, and Africa um, they won't be able to afford PBSA, and you know we're not going to make as much money out of them, all of this sort of stuff. And actually, that's not really true. Um, you know, if you show quality value and and and, and appeal in different ways, um, then 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 you you will be able to attract those those students. Um, what you have is one of the trends that we've seen is the, the the Chinese. There's a reliance from the universities and the knock-on effect of the of, of reliances onto the PBSA operators of the Chinese coming coming over, and they they have been taught very well um, to book early, to um, to secure their accommodation early because of the dynamic pricing, but availability, choice of room, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know they're no different to to any of the other markets either. They, they 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 see quality. They will go to quality. Um, uh, traditionally, sort of the the other markets wait until they got their visas to be fully sure before they go and and things like that. So you've got the trend that is is a later market. By the time those later markets come, there's lack of availability, lack of choice. Prices have gone sky high, and they're having to go out um, and, and sort of find different different uh, avenues of accommodation. This is where the HMO market um, uh, is 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 key for a lot of these these countries, and also the universities not securing accommodation for them in the first year as well, which doesn't help. Um, so th- th- there's lots of different ways, and you know, we we do a lot of workshops with all of our partners to show um, how they can appeal, whether it be when they're building new things or building new services and facilities, or just greeting and opening out certain rooms. We 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 have um, our part- so a lot of our partners look at uh, want different uh, demographics, and we would re- reverse engineer with them to say, okay, coming into your city. There's X amount of Indian students, the X amount of UAE students, X amount of Chinese students. And we would look at all of that and say, okay, what level of mix are you looking for um, to make sure that you're not over reliant on a single um, um, source country? And how can you appeal to those? Um, and 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 what can we do to be able to support that? And, and that's where we sort of come in to, to be that um, uh, consultative arm um, to, to their business propositions. So... I've seen a lot on LinkedIn recently and I'm loath to just take LinkedIn as, you know, exactly <laughs> what's going on in the market. But some stories of dark arts by some marketplaces, fake bookings, yep. competing Google ads. Is yep. this happening? And can, is there a way to stop it? Yeah, it's it, of course it's happening. Um, um, there's, there's no marketplace that is squeaky clean. I'm not going to name names on here, but but we all know who has been putting in the fake bookings. We all know that that fu- fundamentally that's coming from 
from uh, from China, uh, and there, uh, there there's uh, a lot of uh, things associated to that. Um, I'm pleased that a lot of the our partners are putting in things to avoid that. Um, when I was at IQ uh, uh, for the start of the season, uh, there was things that we put in place to ensure that that we weren't getting fake bookings in and stuff like that. And and, and um, but you know some of that is led by entrepreneurialism by by some marketplace and opportunism by some marketplace, but also um, not just the marketplace. They're they're sort of highlighting it to students that are already there and and giving them a commercial opportunity to block a room um and they might be in their last year at university but they're still blocking room for next year and selling it on to to those marketplaces and so there's a lot of opportunities opportunism about that um uh the the sort of the the, the google ad pieces and stuff like that we're putting in in things that where where you know um we do we have bid bid on search terms um if it's if everybody else is we have to but the we've put in solutions to 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 that where we have, we're providing all of our partners um, with a um, uh, with a with a dashboard that will allow them uh, to see who's bidding on their search terms and who's not, so that we're part of the solution, not the problem. Um, you know, you've got other things like which is one thing is very close to my heart. We we know that where when um, uh, uh, operators are squeezing down commission levels in under supply markets and stuff like that which is you know which we we can accept we understand um there's a number of other uh, uh marketplaces that would be charging students to make up for that shortfall um and, and charging students for their their services and actually that is illegal um coming into the uk and comes with the five thousand pound um uh pound uh um uh, uh fee charge um uh legally so we don't get involved in any of that um and uh, you know there's a reason why you know when a, when a, a property is non-commissionable and they're still getting bookings being put in by by marketplaces um it's because they're charging the students and i think that's um legally and morally incorrect and uh, that's something that we would always stand by um within that so there, there's lots of dark arts the, the good thing from my side is that i know the pros and cons associated to all of those things and you know we we have set out our our stall if you like at amber to be transparent and if anybody wants to find out how we're transparent you know, you know get in touch because we we are you know there's things that happened in the past like that i've come in and you know working with the team to make sure things don't happen again um and that we can uh, give that trust um and full transparency in in, in what, what we do moving forward and um, you always strike me as somebody who is glass half full, David. Um, that must have been tough over the last few years being a Spurs fan. <laughs> yes, um, I'm a season ticket holder, and uh, um, it, it's been hard. Um, the only thing, <laughs> you know, we, we've I've always been um, wanting to go and watch good football and, and the DNA of Tottenham is to go and watch good football. And you know, even when we were coming above Arsenal for six years running, we weren't playing good football. We did under Potch and that was great. Champions League final and stuff like that, even though we were cheated out of it by the Scousers, I'm not going to go down that route. I'm not bitter or twisted. Um, but now um, the great thing at the moment is with Big Ange, I love it because we're not only playing good football, we're playing winning football. We've got a mentality. And and every other supporter likes our manager. And they can't help but like it. Even the Gooners. They won't admit it, but even the Gooners. And it's great. And we will live every minute of that. And 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 it's sort of living in the moment. And and you know, we're five points clear. Whether we're five points clear when this podcast goes out, <laughs> I'm not sure. But hopefully we're gonna come up off the back. When it goes out, we should have beaten Chelsea. But at the moment, as it stands, we're five points clear and uh, all is well in the world. I think uh, Ange is the most popular Australian in the UK at the moment. It's, oh, it's great, uh, it? hard not to like him. Yeah. Um, right. We've come on to the quick fire round. So uh, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Oh, 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 oh. Um, right. So I was going to come up with something clever and re-engineer sort of the um the youth versus experience piece and and sort of I, I think it might have been 
Bernard Shaw, George Bernard Shaw or Oscar Wilde that came up with some quote about the youth wasted on the young youth wasted on the experience or something like that. But I, I bored myself with that one and I'll probably come back to, I'll probably get rid of religion. Um, I'd keep faith and have faith, but get rid of religion. That's definitely a bold one. Um, what <laughs> advice would you what would you give to someone who wants to change direction but doesn't know where to start? Let me just get it because it's profound and you can edit this properly. So um, my first instinct would be to, to sort of say, okay, you know, get a mentor, start to plan and, you know, have a leap of faith. And, you know, um, I remember um, sort of a, whatever happens will be type mentality. Um, I, uh, back in the day, um, and actually it came to light, I think it was in 1989 when um, uh, Lucille Ball died. And, and and this sounds really weird and daft, but um, I used to watch I Love Lucy when I was a kid. And I don't know, it's probably before your time. And it's a, it's a very, very, very old American sort of sitcom. And Lucy Ball, Ball, uh, Ball, Lucille Ball was this American actress. She died in 1989. And one of the, one of the quotes that was on one of the newspapers that I, I'd written, and, and I was I was sort of going through um, sort of A level hell at that time and stuff like that, um, and 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 it and she wrote or said, "I'd rather regret the things I've done than regret the things I haven't done," and that's probably the advice I would give anybody. Okay, and what's going to be your next big change? Um, probably my golf swing. I've been hitting the ball really badly um, and I haven't played for a long time. And so uh, uh, I'd like to get my golf swing back in order and get myself back down to single figures if I can. Okay. And final question that I know everyone dreads and gets nervous about. If you were to recommend a guest for me to speak to on the shift. Oh, God. Oh, I didn't know about that one. Who would it be? Um, They have to be alive. (laughs) Well, that would help. Yeah. Oh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I didn't know if it's going to be a Muhammad Ali going for dinner with or whatever that sort of question or not. Um, no, I'll struggle to get them on the podcast if uh, if they're not still with us, David. So, uh... <laughs> um, I would probably say someone like, um, yeah, I'm thinking, I don't know whether to go down the IQ route um, or, you know, go and throw Matt Merrick under the bus. Um, <laughs> uh uh, yeah, I mean, maybe like a um, a Richard Murphy character in uh, yeah. uh, which would be quite useful. I think he's he's uh, um, gives a really good insight into dynamic pricing and working for Blackstone. I think that would be really interesting. Is it? Is it? And he's a Geordie as well, so you can. Um, and, and is is just um, um, a, a young father. Well, he's not that young, but he's uh, he's now become a father. So that might be quite interesting. Certainly, uh, certainly, um, reach out to him and uh, and try and get an episode recorded. Um, David, just want to say I've really enjoyed our conversations today. Um, you've certainly been through a lot of change, and that's the <laughs> that's the theme of the podcast. Um, and, I hope you know, I haven't and... been too honest. So apologies. <laughs> nothing wrong. Wear my heart. I'm asleep a little bit. So nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, and I think, um, albeit you said you hate roller coasters, it sounds like your life and career has been one so far. So, um, oh, it uh, continues to be, and you wouldn't have it any other way, would you, really? So, um, so yeah, thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. No, my pleasure. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Know Your Shift. I hope you found it really useful and you can take some practical advice away with you. And please do remember to hit that follow button as it really does help.